Hello, welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast covering regulatory affairs with the assistance of our team of reporters around the world. My name is James Paniki. I'm MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. Now, it's hard to understate the significance of the two lawsuits targeting Facebook that have been announced in the United States this week. The ambition of the court action by the US Federal Trade Commission and a collection of 48 states and territories is staggering. If the enforcers have their way, Facebook could be broken up, its future acquisitions could be vetted, and the novel theory of antitrust harm centering on privacy and innovation could wreak havoc on the social media platform's business model. Now, we know that President Donald Trump is no fan of EU regulators. He sees them as a pack of US-hating socialists. Well, these two lawsuits go beyond any enforcement action hitherto attempted by the European Commission. Kushita Vasant is MLEX's senior antitrust correspondent. She's been writing about these developments from Washington, D.C., and I'm delighted to say that she's joining us right now. Uh, Kushita, firstly, explain to me what has happened in this extraordinary week. Hi, James. So finally, the lawsuit that we all were expecting to drop this year has come about. So the Federal Trade Commission and a group of 48 states and territories in the U.S. um, basically hit Google with two separate lawsuits. They're not identical uh, word for word, but they're very similar in what they asked the court to do. So according to me, from a preliminary reading of the two lawsuits, and they basically ask the court that there should be prior notice and prior approval for Facebook's mergers and acquisitions. Uh, And uh, they have privacy concerns. Uh, I think this is significant because finally privacy has jumped from being an academic theory that economists and consultants would talk about into actual legal risk for companies. Uh, And the most significant thing that has happened is They've asked for Facebook to be restructured or um, its businesses to be divested. And that's huge because they're just asking for Facebook to be broken up. Isn't this what we've all been hearing all this while? I think about a decade uh, that we've heard that big tech companies should be broken up because they wield too much monopoly power. Mm. And just to be super clear, everyone has always argued that you can't unscramble the eggs, it's too late to do this. But let's be super clear about... Uh, why we're referring to this enforcement action as unprecedented. What is radically new about what antitrust enforcers are alleging and asking from the court? Uh, You're right when you say that the most obvious solution to the big tech problem, uh, which is unscrambling the eggs, uh, most people thought this is not something that can ever be done. Uh, But I've been looking at certain documents and I have a report in front of me from uh, written by the FTC. And this is a 2012 March report, which says that basically during the Bush administration, the DOJ and the FTC together challenged 18 consummated mergers. And then uh, economists on the other side of the Atlantic have also written reports Uh, basically saying that even reported and evaluated deals by the FTC were challenged. Uh, There were divestments and then competition in the market was restored. So it's unprecedented. I think this this is just sort of like a fixation or a mental block, perhaps, that enforcers need to uh, get over. 
Uh, and as you can see, the FTC has actually gone ahead and th- done that. So what they're suggesting is that the eggs aren't, in fact, scrambled. Maybe we're dealing with uh, poached eggs or, or something like that. Maybe I'll need to see where I can take this metaphor. But uh, it's safe, uh, isn't it, to assume that Facebook won't be accepting any of these arguments. What is the digital platform saying in its defence at the moment? Uh, so Facebook has been pretty vocal about its displeasure. And it uh, basically says that this is revisionist history. And the uh, government is seeking a do-over uh, in anti- in, in, through its antitrust lawsuit. And, uh, well, they're reviewing the complaints, but I think there's a very high hurdle for the FTC and the states. The information that you see in these lawsuits is not something that they didn't have before. So I think Facebook's legal team might not actually be that concerned. So it remains to be seen what exactly happens in court. I think the, face- the FTC and the s- states... Um, have their work cut out for them in when it comes to defending these cases. Now, there, there had been a suggestion that um, what um, I am going to delight in calling smoking gun documents um, have been uncovered by enforcers during their investigation. Walk me through that. Is there any substance to, to those rumours? Oh, yes. Uh, over here in the US, we call them hot docs. And uh, these are crucial to antitrust cases uh, and merger cases. Uh, and um, I think there are about 40 references to Mark Zuckerberg and his um, colleagues referring to how to deal with these competitive threats that, that Instagram and WhatsApp were back before they were acquired by Facebook. So I think the one that's sort of been doing the rounds the most is Zuckerberg said in an email in 2008 and uh, this was just after four years after he had founded Facebook, you know, in his Harvard dorm room. And Zuckerberg said in an email then, it is better to buy than compete. Uh, and then there's one other reference that's been um, thrown about a lot. And it came up first in a July hearing with all the four big tech CEOs. And uh, it talks about how Mark would go into destroy mode if he wasn't able to Uh, acquire Instagram. So, you know, there's been this vague sense of menace that sort of has been noted as having crept into email communications involving Mark Zuckerberg as, you know, as he sort of worries about these startups not accepting his offer for an acquisition. And we should clarify for people who are not uh, obsessive uh, watchers of antitrust matters that these kind of quotes go to the heart of the issue of killer acquisitions. So the notion that a company might acquire a nascent uh, startup company uh, to neutralize a future competitive uh, threat, right? Precisely, yes. Uh, You know, there have been (laughs) overt references to the wrath of Mark. Uh, So it's, it's, it's not just it's not just Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg, which is, you know, that that's that's sort of engaging in, in this kind of conduct. In fact, if I remember correctly from the lawsuit that the DOJ filed uh, in October against Google, uh, there were reports that uh, Google management had told their their executives uh, not to avoid certain words like acquire, kill, destroy in email correspondence. Mm. Oh, there you go. So uh, that makes these... Uh these emails from Zuckerberg um, all the more interesting. Now, it's it's um, getting to the mechanics of it all. 
It's a big call, isn't it, to bring this kind of enforcement action against an established tech powerhouse like Facebook. Was there any disagreement among enforcers on whether to proceed? Definitely. So um, as you can see, we have 48 states and territories uh, that joined the suit, which means that there are 46 states and then the other two are territories. The four states that did not join this lawsuit are South Dakota, South Carolina, uh, you have Georgia and Alabama. Um, I think these are all Republican states. And then within the FTC, there was a vote. And uh, the result was the two, the, uh, two Republican commissioners, uh, Noah Phillips and Christine Wilson, voted against bringing a case. Uh, and this is really interesting. Now, normally when commissioners dissent, they write a dissenting opinion. But sometimes out of deference for the agency and, not, and so as not to jeopardize the suit, they might not even write a dissenting opinion. So we've asked them, we've asked their offices, uh, what was their reasoning for denying, uh, for voting against bringing a suit? And they have been pretty quiet. It's not hard to imagine. I think it's very possible they agree with critics that the information that the FTC had back in 2012 and 2014 could have led to an enforcement action. It's just that the FTC just didn't do anything at the time. So why now? Okay, so this brings us to where we stand today. Now, as this enforcement action starts to unfold, will there be a significant impact on deal-making in the here and now? Oh, definitely. I think this is going to dramatically alter um, the company's deal-making. And I think this is very specific to Facebook because obviously... Um, they, uh, you're not hearing the FTC or the state saying any big tech ac- acquisitions need to be monitored. They're specifically making this request uh, for a permanent injunction against Facebook. Um, so, for instance, the New York-led state complaint, they are specifically putting a number to it. They're, they're seeking prior notice of any company deals that are valued at or above $10 million. And they're also asking that these be disclosed to the states in much the same way that Facebook will would have had to report to the FTC under the hard scott trudino process. Uh, so this could even backfire. I mean, if, if um, this could just lead to a flood of notifications. We've seen something similar happen in, uh, in, in Europe when, you know, when um, uh, Austria and, and Germany sort of lowered their, their thresholds to net killer acquisitions and then they found out that they weren't actually catching the right kind of deals but again this is not like to like Mm. comparison okay walk me through the uh if you will political atmospherics of it because the eu has been seen as the world leader on antitrust cases against big tech that prompted President Donald Trump to criticise EU competition chief Margrethe Vestager. You you know, we all remember his famous sentence where he said, you know, you have a woman in Europe, she hates the United States, perhaps worse than any person I've ever met. Um, so, you know, there's the usual hyperbole there for sure. But I wonder if this new uh, lawsuit changes that uh, narrative, because now it will be the US um, and US enforcers that are at the forefront of this uh, global battle, not Vestager? Certainly. So with these two lawsuits, the US has leapfrogged Europe on antitrust cases against big tech. So there was this environment over the past 10 years where 
Europe invested a lot of mind power. Uh, there were there were a lot of academic theories and discussions and debates on on the monopoly power of big tech. But in terms of enforcement action, which obviously yes, the Europe did bring a lot of. You didn't you didn't really see markets correcting after the prohibition or you know the cease and desist orders. Uh, so what the U.S. lawsuits have done is they're they're also concerned about future conduct and they're seeking some sort of block by Facebook on how it deals with acquisitions or how it deals with privacy and data. I'm not saying that Europe hasn't done well. They have. They've they've perhaps been the power center in in terms of you know investing a lot of uh, theory. In, in, into how to tackle big tech. So yes, th- these two lawsuits now sort of take the baton from Europe and they might actually be showing the way forward for other jurisdictions like Australia's deeply looking into some of these same concerns. And Rod Sims has publicly gone on to say that, you know, we ought to be looking at the Google case now that the DOJ has brought a case against them. So definitely, I mean, Westager has reasons to smile. She set the trend, uh, and now the U.S. is taking it forward. Kushita, look, thank you so much for walking us through uh, this week's uh, developments. It's fascinating stuff, history in the making. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me, James. Kushita Vasant is MLEX's senior antitrust correspondent based in Washington, D.C., and we'll post a link to the analysis of these developments that Kushita has written for us, together with Mike Acton, our senior correspondent covering tech, at our webpage, mlexmarketinsight.com. Just click on the Insight Center tab. That's M-L-E-X Market Insight, all one word, dot com. Still to come, Australia's bold experiment in making Facebook and Google pay for journalism. James Panicki with you. This is MLEX's weekly podcast covering the top stories in regulatory affairs. It's great to be with you again today. Now, you heard Kushita name-check the head of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, Rod Sims, and as our regular listeners know only too well, the ACCC and Australian lawmakers have been exploring some very interesting policy ideas and how best to manage tech giants. This week, Australia's bold experiment in regulating the relationship between Facebook and Google on the one hand and media publishers on the other has taken its most significant step. And as Australian Treasurer Josh Frydenberg said this week, there's only one direction that the money will be flowing in, and that's from the platforms to the newspapers. So, good news for Australian media and the underpaid journalists it employs, right? Uh, Sure, but the bill announced this week also contains a few surprises. Laurel Henning is MLEX's senior reporter based in Sydney. She's had a very busy week with the Epic Games versus Google lawsuit also starting to unfold in the federal court in Sydney. So we are very lucky to have Laurel with us right now in the dying hours of our week. Okay, Laurel, first off, walk us through what has happened. Well, James, we saw the publication of an updated piece of draft legislation that if it becomes law will see Facebook and Google 
forced to negotiate with news companies, Australian news companies, to pay for the news content that they host on their platforms in Australia. So this is an update of a draft that came out actually in July, and at the time was the subject of a lot of opposition, particularly from Google, but also from Facebook. Uh, And the latest version takes into account feedback that the ACCC, the Australian competition regulator, received um, during a consultation period, which ran uh, through to the end of August this year. Now, you and I have talked about earlier drafts on this very podcast, in fact. Were there any significant changes from those earlier drafts? I'd say that two things really stood out to me. First of all, YouTube and Instagram have been removed from this version of the code. And that's important really because back in July, um, ACCC chairman Rod Sims was pretty clear at the time that one reason that he felt this code would succeed where other regulatory attempts around the world had failed was because it would cover all the services that platforms provide. So the example I think he gave at the time was if Google or Facebook tried to circumvent these rules by simply not showing news content on search or newsfeed, but let's say it still popped up on YouTube or Instagram and Google and Facebook already had an agreement in place with a news provider, then that content, that news content, would still be covered by the code. Also, I think listening to a lot of the feedback surrounding the earlier draft, which questioned why the benefit that news companies gained from traffic driven to their sites via Facebook and Google wasn't included in the list of required topics for an independent arbiter to consider if and perhaps when commercial talks break down and news companies end up in in arbitration with the platforms, this is now in the latest version, that that benefit is now included. So they would have to consider, the arbiters would have to consider that benefit as well, that two-way value exchange, um, as well as the benefit that platforms gain from news media. So yes, it would be a two-way, a two-way value exchange that would be under consideration in arbitration. And I should just, I should just add here that the arbiters will be appointed by Australia's media regulator, um, known locally as ACMA, and they will keep a list of registered arbiters who will be tasked with mediating these final offer negotiations. Mm. Okay, so um, these are uh, two uh, significant uh, changes, have you, as you've just put them to me now. What do they actually mean? What is the significance of these, of these uh, differences in the proposed legislation? Well, that's a great question. And I think because we're at such an early stage, this really is just a draft. It's just been published. It's only just been presented to Parliament. It's very difficult to to answer that, obviously, in in detail and and with great certainty. But um, first of all, on YouTube and Instagram not being in the code, it looks like a big deal because they are such big companies. They're companies we hear about or may see or use every day. But would a whole news article have ever actually been copied onto Instagram in the first place rather than just a snippet, let's say. I'm not sure. And also via YouTube, there are already measures in place where copyright infringing content can be removed. So not including those two companies, I don't know whether that it looks like a big deal, but does it actually change very much? I think that's to be discussed. Mm. Plus, Australian Treasurer Josh Frydenberg hasn't said no, never to these platforms being included, more just not now.
Mm. And that is entirely up to, to him, isn't it? It's, it? He has the discretion to decide who is targeted by this legislation. Absolutely. It's totally up to him. And also the the code after it's entered into force will, will go through a review in, in its entirety, I think a year after it enters into force. Mm. And you mentioned um, compulsory arbitration, this arbitration mechanism. What do we need to know about that? Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. These these extra benefits that are now going to be included in the consideration that 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 takes place. Again, it looks like a game changer. And of course, you have some experts who might argue that, let's say, if the benefit that news companies actually get from traffic um, that they receive to their sites via Facebook and Google, if that traffic, if that benefit to the news companies was properly calculated, well, they'd probably owe the platforms money. And then you've got the other side of the coin who say, look, any sensible arbiter would have eventually taken this into account anyway. Whether it was listed in the law as a requirement to be considered, it would have it would have come up. OK, let's uh, take a few steps back now and remind me how what we are seeing unfold in Australia at the moment is different to what we've seen with regulatory debates about news and digital platforms overseas, for example, in countries like uh, uh, France, Spain and and Germany? Well, the difference here is really the law that's behind the code, the law that the code is in, entrenched within or buried within. The bargaining code, the Australian piece of legislation or draft legislation, I should say again, is based in competition law, not in copyright legislation, which is where the law is based in Europe. And that's why um, when the first draft was announced in July, uh, ACCC Chairman Rod Sims and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg at the time said, we think this will be this will be a tougher and perhaps more successful measure. Still, we should say um, that Google actually announced in November that it had struck a deal with some French publishers listed in its search results. So there is progress overseas. Now, Facebook in particular have been threatening to, uh, to simply leave Australia, to stop dealing with news content entirely if this law uh, came to pass. Is that an empty threat or do you think there is a chance that uh, Facebook and Google will, to some extent at least, leave Australia rather than submit to this kind of legislation? Well, James, again, you're sort of asking me to gaze into my crystal ball a little bit here. But for, for now, I think neither company has given a full response to this latest draft. They've both uh, told me that they are, um, are still reviewing it. They've only received it this week. And perhaps they're a touch preoccupied with the latest US antitrust action that we've we've just heard about as well. But both would say they are committed to ongoing negotiations, of course, and that on the part of Facebook, what, they, what they've actually said was, if this becomes law, this is what they said back in July, uh, with the draft as it looked then, we will withdraw news from our services. Now, that version, any version indeed, hasn't become law. So the threat hasn't been taken off the table so much as we're also just not there yet. Okay, so what happens next? I mean, what are the procedural steps required for all of this to enter into law? And what happens when it does? Well, the draft legislation was introduced on Wednesday to the House of Representatives. Uh, it will be debated there, then sent to Australia's Senate. The House of Representatives and the Senate have to both agree on an identical version of the law before it can enter into force. And this can take months, sometimes even years. And when and if it enters into force, we'll see those negotiations begin. Um, once, of course, any news companies uh, have told 
ACMA, that media regulator that I mentioned earlier on, um, that they actually want to enter negotiations because they have to inform the regulator, the regulator registers that, and then the negotiations can formally begin. And most importantly, at that point, we'll see whether they're successful in seeking payment from Facebook and, and Google. Laurel, I remember when the ACCC first announced its digital platforms inquiry at the end of 2017, little did we know that we'd still be talking about this uh, two years later. So it's been an incredible ride and one which has, I think, made your coverage uh, important, not just for our Australian subscribers, but for all of our readers around the world. So thanks once again for all of your work over the past two years. And if I don't speak to you again on the podcast this year, have a great summer break. Thanks, James, and you. Laurel Henning is MLEX's senior correspondent in Sydney and her analysis of the most recent developments in Australia's media code is ready for you to peruse. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. Click on the Insight Centre tab and it will be all there at your virtual fingertips. And that's it for today. Credible sources assure me that you can subscribe to MLEX Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. Leave a review if you can. We certainly appreciate your support and your comments. We'll be back in your feed next Friday, GMT. I'm James Panicki, MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. Thank you for your company. Bye for now.